0: Visit bankofamericacom banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, NA, copyright 2024.
1: The
2: COVID 19 virus, a new form of coronavirus, is threatening to become a pandemic. It struck China at the end of November last year the pneumonia-like illness that it causes is now spreading around the world. Governments have been doing their best to contain the disease, but now they need to start preparing for the possibility that it will become far more widespread. I'm Tom Standage, Deputy Editor at The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage on Economist Radio, our weekly podcast on technology and science. We'll be asking what countries can do to cope with the spread of this deadly virus. On December 31st, 2019, Chinese authorities first alerted the World Health Organization, or WHO, to several cases of unusual pneumonia in the city of Wuhan. We now know that they were caused by the novel coronavirus,
1: COVID-19. I'm declaring a public health emergency of international concern over the global outbreak of novel coronavirus
2: That's Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, the head of the WHO. It's been more than a month since he called for concerted international efforts to control the coronavirus.
1: Our greatest concern is the potential for the virus to spread to countries with weaker health systems and which are ill-prepared
2: to deal with it. But despite this, there are now cases in nearly 40 countries. The WHO says countries should be in a phase of preparedness for a pandemic.
1: For the first time since the start of the outbreak today, we have more cases reported outside China than China.
2: Abdi Muhammad is the World Health Organization's incident manager for Asia. In his role, he leads the COVID-19 response in the West Pacific region.
1: From outside China, we have 427 and from China, 411 and from a total of 37 countries. So while we are seeing a dramatic decrease in China, which is very reassuring for all of us, we are we observing an uptake of outbreak in other countries uh, in the regions.
2: This week, the World Health Organization has said that countries should be in a phase of preparedness for a pandemic. What exactly does preparedness mean? What do they have to do?
1: So what we are calling for the country is the highest level of emergency response at the highest at the government level. What we, we notice in China and a lot of countries when the government and all society come together and it, it becomes easy for them to activate the readiness and implementation. And more importantly, preparing the healthcare workers. If you have seen from the experience we had, the frontline workers, the healthcare workers are the most affected in the first two phases, uh, initial weeks of, of the disease. Communicating to the public because this is a new disease, and rightly so some people don't have the right information. So that's what we are calling for. The countries at the highest level are also approach from the top leadership to the lowest level in the community to prepare for potential when we reach have a large community outbreak. We have not yet reached there, but we have to prepare so that shall we reach that the communities and the countries are prepared.
2: So at what point would this qualify then as a pandemic? Is there a technical definition or is it a matter of opinion?
1: It's not a matter of opinion. We are closely looking at the data and from all the available data, it just shows that these are clusters. Some of the clusters can as big as uh, 600, what we are seeing right now Korea. Uh, There's a group of people who attended a church service. A place of worship, or a, as a big cluster, what we have seen in the Diamond Prince in the cruise, we consider those are clusters. So we are using other forms of surveillance, looking for any evidence that may be going within the community. I mean, just to bring you back on 30th January, uh, WHO uh, Director General have declared this is an, as a public health emergency of international concern. The fake. Uh, that's the highest alert. So in terms of uh, whether you call it pandemic or not, the world has reached that level and it has been already be declared as a public health of international concern. So we are not using the normal terminology that we uh, everyone is used in the flu, that phase one, now we are moving to phase two, phase three, phase six. Uh, we shifted from that and the, the three, what I said, one is clusters that are linked initially to China and the second stage is a localized transmission and the final stage will be widespread community transmission. And it will be different from every country. So like now we don't have a major issues going in Africa and Latin America, where the situation in Japan and Korea and China may be different. So instead of wide-scale pandemic, we'll have a country-specific approach based on the risk assessment and the, and the approach that will be conducted then once we reach that stage.
2: Now, I realise that you're all very much involved with trying to prevent the spread of this virus now. But looking slightly further ahead, how close are we to a vaccine or even a treatment for this disease?
1: There are quite a number of vaccine trials being conducted and candidates. But you know very well that vaccines takes almost six to 12 months. So this is phase one trial. So we are almost six to 12 months. With the research and the data has been shared, a lot of things are going faster But uh, from our estimate, it will be six to 12 months before we have a vaccine that's efficacy that has less uh, side effect.
2: Abdi Mohammed, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. Good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation...
2: Abdi Mohammed of the World Health Organization then says that the development of a vaccine is still some way off. So in the meantime, what should countries be doing to prepare themselves for this unprecedented challenge? Sloveya Chankova is The Economist's healthcare correspondent. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dom. Also with us is Therese Hesketh, who has spent 30 years in epidemiology and public health in China, Southeast Asia and Britain and is now Professor of Global Health at University College London. Welcome, Therese. Thank you. And Crystal Donnelly is a Professor of Statistics at Oxford University and Imperial College London, specialising in real-time analysis and response to disease outbreaks. Hello, Crystal. Hello. Hello. Therese, can we start by putting this in historical context? How different is this to other outbreaks of diseases that we've seen in the past?
3: I think the best comparisons are to the other coronavirus outbreaks. Of course, there was SARS in 2003. I was actually living in China during SARS, and it was very interesting because, A, it wasn't as contagious As the current virus, the mortality rate was higher. It was around 10 to 12 percent. And the other interesting thing about that virus was that the overall numbers were low, low low-ish, around 8,000, with about 800 deaths. And it actually finished rather quickly. I was living there at the time, and I remember suddenly there was no more SARS. It just finished very abruptly. It was very interesting. The other comparison, of course, is with MERS, which is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, which is actually a much more serious condition and probably less like this current virus than SARS was. The best comparison
2: is probably with the SARS virus. Okay, so SARS was more deadly but less contagious.
3: Yes, and didn't actually penetrate many countries. Of course, it's very much focused in mainland China, Hong Kong, and places like Canada, which were all imported cases. We understood the transmission of SARS better than we do the current um, COVID-19 virus. That's one of the big challenges at the moment is knowing exactly how this virus is behaving.
2: Okay, Crystal, you were part of the World Health Organization's Ebola response team, I believe. Are there any lessons we could read across from that? I realise it's a very different kind of disease.
4: They're very different things. Obviously, the you know we've talked about how the SARS virus is more deadly than this novel coronavirus. Um, Ebola is uh, more deadly as well, and that's considerably more deadly than SARS. The majority of people who get the Ebola virus sadly die. But a key complication with this new virus is there's some evidence that it can transmit even when people are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. And that's difficult because one of the things that made SARS relatively easily contained as such things go, is that it was transmitting after people showed symptoms. And that means that people can identify themselves as having symptoms go and become confirmed as cases, and then they can be isolated and their contacts traced. If you have people who are potentially infectious before they become symptomatic, then that's much more difficult.
2: Okay, now your specialty is in in modelling and and prediction and so forth. So is it possible to estimate how many people could end up being infected? Because there are some pretty apocalyptic numbers out there.
4: Well, one of the things that we estimate is what's called the basic reproduction number. That's the average number of new infections one introduced infection will cause. And our estimate for that is about two and a half. So that doesn't sound like that many. But if if one person ha- infects two or three, and in each of those infect two or three, and so on, it expands quite quickly, in fact, exponentially. And so if it kept going at that rate, you would get very big numbers quickly. But then control measures are brought in to try and bring that number down. And actually, the SARS virus had a reproduction number that wasn't very different, but it was containable, and then the effective reproduction number that's how much transmission actually then happens over time once control measures are brought in reduced considerably. That's key from turning an increasing trend into a decreasing trend.
2: Now, Therese, we're now seeing the rate of new infections in China slowing down. What should we read into that?
3: When I'm being optimistic, I would say that what they're doing in China, which is extremely draconian, is actually working. There's lots of rumors around that the Chinese aren't actually reporting all the cases. And there may be a lot more cases than we know about. But I think, you know, and the WHO has come out and said it very openly, that they think that China has done a very good job in managing to contain what is an extraordinary situation, particularly in Hubei province. And so I would say that it's good news. It also means that other countries can also contain outbreaks as they come because no one, probably simply because of density of population in Chinese cities, it's probably unlikely that other countries will have quite the same outbreaks that China has had.
2: Silvea, can I come to you now? Uh, You're looking at what countries around the world are doing. What are they doing? And uh, are any of them sort of going as far as China uh, when it comes to containment?
5: So countries are really on a continuum, depending on how many cases of the disease they already have. So places like America, where cases are still very few, at least the ones that they know of, are able to trace the contacts of these people, isolate them, make sure that they don't spread the infection Obviously, that becomes more difficult the more cases you have, and we are starting to see this in places like Italy. So you won't have just the sheer public health workforce to be keeping up with that. At that stage, you would uh, introduce what's called social distancing measures. Those are things like closing schools, cancelling mass gathering events, perhaps uh, introducing some sort of limitations or advice rather uh, to companies to stagger working hours, which would reduce the number of people travelling on public transport at any given time and so on and so forth. So these measures are called mitigation measures in an epidemic. It could go a long way and they've been routinely... Oh, there are some
2: countries doing that now. Beyond China,
5: Japan has uh, asked companies to do this working hour staggering. Um.
2: Oh, they've also um, uh, said you can't have large conferences large gatherings as well. That's right. There's even they, talk of canceling yeah. the Olympics, isn't there? So yeah. that would be that would be part of that.
5: Yeah. Okay. That's right.
2: That Crystal Abdi Mohammed, who we spoke to from the WHO earlier on, said they're still monitoring the situation to see if these concentrated clusters turn into a pandemic, but it hasn't yet. Do you agree with that assessment?
4: Everybody agrees that there is pandemic potential in this virus, that if it weren't controlled, that it would lead to a pandemic. But controls are being brought in, and we just need to see how well those those work outside. So some countries have contained this very successfully, but clearly that has not been the case in some settings. And so we're seeing considerable number of cases arising, for example, in South Korea, Italy, Iran. And so those will really be the point where we look to see how well can this be controlled outside of China, because China brought in some very strong measures, and it remains to be seen whether or not other countries
2: will follow suit. Therese, what's your view on uh, where we are, how close we are to this being declared a pandemic?
3: I think it's all about definitions of pandemics, and I think a pandemic really means that it, does, it is affecting and out of control in a large number of countries across the globe. And at the moment we've seen, what, I think, two cases in the continent of Africa – and I think now one case in South America. And at the moment, I know the WHO would not define that as a pandemic. It's about geography. Pandemics are kind of a geographical term, really.
2: So that's the definition. So, do mm-hmm. you think? Do any of you think that the WHO is sort of holding off declaring this a pandemic to avoid panic, or is there actually a strict definition that this hasn't met yet?
3: I think the latter. And Crystal's just said, you know, when you get one or two cases, it's very easy to control. When you get very small numbers of cases, the only place where it has been, you know, really a major, major public health problem has been China. And then really only in Hubei province, outside of Hubei province even, it's been relatively quickly controlled.
2: Okay, now a question for all of you. One thing we're seeing a lot of in this case is the spread not just of this virus, but the spread of misinformation about it. Obviously, this is a compared with SARS. uh, There's an awful lot more use of social media going on. How much of a challenge is that for organizations that are trying to contain it? Who'd like to come in on that? Sovere, why don't you go first?
5: This is a very big problem. The World Health Organization is calling it an infodemic. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, they think they should fight this uh, as much as they do the actual epidemic. And the problem is that um, when there is disinformation out there, it's often the kind um, that makes people distrustful of authorities. So if their governments advise them to do something, they might be less likely to follow through. And that obviously would affect the course of the epidemic.
2: Crystal, did you want to come on with this? Because we had this problem with Ebola, didn't we, as well, that it, w- it was harder to control That it might have been because of misinformation that was spreading about its origins and what spread it.
4: It is very difficult. And there have been um, some people that, you know, I've seen the WHO trying to counter these things, like a theory that if you use mouthwash, that will help protect you. Or if you use sesame seed oil. And these things just aren't going to work. And it's important that people don't trust these particular measures that they've heard of, of on the web somewhere and then take riskier behaviors than they would otherwise. If there were someone with symptoms in your household, you shouldn't be using mouthwash or or some sort of oil and think that that's going to protect you. So you really want people to be looking to national sources, their ministries of health and the WHO. And the WHO has a lot of information and it is using social media as well. On Facebook and Twitter, you can find information from these key trusted sources that will really give you details on what can be done there's a lot of concern with looking at masks and so in in some places masks have been sold out because people are interested in using them but for people who aren't actually trained they can provide little help because you sometimes see videos of people with their mask, and then they put their thumb in it to pull it up to eat or to use their phone and then put their thumb back in it to pull it back down. And of course, where's their thumb been? And so people should be washing their hands a lot. There should be, you know, sort of cough hygiene that people, if they do cough, as many people will, because there are many other things that can make you cough, cough into your elbow instead of covering it with your hand, because your hand may then go on a doorknob. And so by doing those tried and trusted things, we're in the best position to try to limit control. And then when people are told that they need to isolate, that's what they need to do. We sometimes hear reports of people saying, oh, well, I think it's just like a cold. And it is mild symptoms for many people, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be mild for everyone. And so, you know, we've seen thousands of people dying. It's really important that everyone takes this seriously.
2: Finally, what should the priorities be now, not just for individuals, we've heard a bit about that, um, but for governments, for health services, what do we need to be, be seeing more of? Surveyor, why don't you go first and then we can hear from everyone. Surveyor, what do you think?
5: So governments have to be very agile and adjust uh, the course of action as things change, as they might uh, do so very, very rapidly. So if you have some sort of strategy to contain the few cases that you have, as soon as you have a more widespread outbreaks, you have to really change course and uh, start with uh, the so-called mitigation measures and prepare people for that. Because uh, if you all of a sudden come out with a different message than the one that you've been giving them the day before, that may create a bit of a problem.
2: So that's what we heard from Abdi Mohammed, that governments need to be kind of moving on to the next stage of making this longer-term preparedness strategy. Crystal, what would you like to see more of?
4: There needs to be sort of a realisation in joined-up thinking and that you know cases that appear in one country are potentially a risk to all countries because we're all interconnected through flights and also land borders in many cases. So it's important that that people pull together and that they are coordinated. And the the WHO is you know, in the best possible place to coordinate actions and to make sure that people are, are getting the best advice and being prepared. But but we need resilience. We need resilience in organisations and we need resilience in communities. So planning for, you know, if there were a certain level of absenteeism, how key services can keep going. And that's not to scare people. That's just a good idea for all sorts of risks
2: that might come. Therese, what would you like to see more of?
3: I think that, I mean, most countries do have infectious disease preparedness programs in place and it's just to make sure that what plan what plans there exist already are ready to go if it if it's going like to italy this week was a great example of that that you know it suddenly happened and no one
2: expected it and wh- how, how prepared were they? Did they have the plan? Uh,
3: they they had a plan, but it's. I mean, I think from what I mean, I'm not in Italy, so it's hard to judge. But um, it seems it, it, the Chinese moved in extraordinary. We have to absolutely hand it to them what they've achieved. Um, but they have they have the personnel in China. There's the personnel to go knocking on doors. People who are all locked in, are actually getting food delivered three times a day. It's horrible being indoors, but in fact. I've spoken to people there who actually kind of say, it's okay. It's okay. This is for the good of the world. This is for the good for everybody. Um, but I think other countries will have a more difficulty than in China. But I think having just having the, just awareness, and I think it's to, to agree with the others that, you know, we've covered we know what's necessary, I think.
5: One thing to add is that countries should really use very wisely this time they have before potentially they, they get a yes. lot more cases. And that's time to prepare hospitals for what might come. Because the disease is quite serious for a significant number of people, which require pretty intensive care, including uh, ventilator machines. So these are the sophisticated And, breathing and, more,
3: and very advanced, actually, ECMO, exactly. above it. ventilation. It's, you know, it's so, very-
5: so making sure that uh, you know, they have enough of those should the epidemic really take off is crucial at this stage.
2: Therese, how worried should we be at the end of the day about all of this if we're in a country where there are very few of these cases so far?
5: I feel a little re-
3: hesitant uh, making any statements because things are changing on a daily basis. However, I do think that this is a disease which is affecting one province in one country. That province is really suffering for, because of this. But even the other provinces in China, although they've been in lockdowns, been amazing, incredible controls, they have had relatively few cases per capita across the other provinces of China. This is really, at the moment, still an issue for Hubei province, and they're the people who've suffered. I think that um, this is something that can be controlled in the longer term.
5: The main question, to keep so, something to keep in mind is that uh, these measures cannot be in place forever they're crippling yeah, the yeah. economy so mm. there are worries
3: they're already lifting
5: them actually once, in China in Ch- lifted,
2: China they are but in the rest the, of the world the they, economic, in
3: China they are being yeah. lifted very quite surprisingly quickly I think actually yes. but they are people okay. are going back to work yes in, in so it, it remains places.
5: to be seen what happens yes because you know they are holding the epidemic down but once you lift them there is a possibility that you may see yeah. a spike in cases the way uh, it happened in Wuhan
3: I, I agree though In Ch- I say Again, in China, they're very aware of that. <laughs> they're very aware of that, and they're going to the people are coming back slowly, slowly. and lot of you know, so they are, you know, keeping a very close eye. So, but of course, anything can happen. I think that's the worry.
2: Okay, a last word from you, Crystal.
4: I think you know, for the countries that haven't yet seen major challenges, it's a matter of being prudent. So, you know, preparing for what might happen, but also being practical. I mean, that there there are have to be a balance of priorities. The healthcare system has many things that it has to deal with. But thinking through ahead of time can mean that then when decisions need to be made quickly, that there is a plan.
2: Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you all very much, Slavea Chankova, Therese Hesketh and Crystal Donnelly. Thank you for joining us.
4: Thanks. Thank you. Thank
2: you. That's all for this edition of Babbage. Follow our coverage of the COVID-19 outbreak in the upcoming edition of The Economist. And to subscribe, go to economist.com slash radio offer to get 12 issues for $12 or £12. I'm Tom Standage. In London, this is The Economist.